Is there a curse on NC State sports? I'm Lauren Brownlow, and in 2017, I asked the question, does NC State stuff really exist? Is it just bad luck? Is it coincidence? Or is it other factors? Welcome to NC State Stuff, a multi-part podcast series where you will hear former athletes, Wolfpack fans, and a myriad of other people that answer the question, is the Wolfpack doomed to not have success? Or is it all just a bunch of silliness that's more fiction than fact? Episode 1 looks at the validity of the curse, the origins of the phrase, and the history of what some now call the law of the wolf. In Making a Case for the Curse, Episode 2 uncovers someone claiming to have started it all while proposing that curses aren't real, right? Episode 3 examines the comparison with Duke and Carolina, asking why NC State fans continue to collectively file their heartbreaks, failures, and quirks as NC State stuff. And when NC State fans sense something bad is going to happen to one of their teams, Episode 4 focuses on that real, palpable feeling of dread, something that can only be experienced to be fully understood. And are brighter days ahead? And a new episode 5 reinforces that endings are not promised, as evidenced by the latest no-contest decision by the NCAA, leaving Wolfpack Baseball a game short of the 2021 College World Series championship. Is this the deepest wound yet? Is it proof that NC State stuff really exists? Here's the Gantt shot. It is short. Picked off by Parsons. One. He fires from about 55 feet. Oh. He's got it. He scores. And Florida wins. 62-61. Parsons shot that one from about 50 to 55 feet toward the left side. Javi Gonzalez can't believe it. He's sitting right in front of Tony Haynes with a look of disbelief. And Pack fans are numb. Is there really a curse? I'm Lauren Bradlow, ACC insider and sports radio contributor at Capital Broadcasting Company. Over the coming weeks, I will take a look at NC State stuff. Does it exist at all? We'll talk to fans, administrators, players, at least those who are willing to go on record about it at all. I've never heard of the curse, but uh, there's something going on. I haven't been able to put my finger on it because... Regardless of what coach we bring in, it's been the same. The results are the same. Uh, I've been coming to games here since the early 80s. And like I say, it doesn't matter who you put in. Pretty much the same result. It's like that across the sports for you, you feel like? Especially basketball and football. The, the art of being an NC State fan is you, if you have no expectations, you can't get disappointed. I don't want to believe it, but yeah, like, I don't know, 36 years of my family cheering for state. <laughs> so I think I told a friend of mine watching the World Series, I'm not a baseball fan, but if state were like the Cubs, I would have expected state to lose games. Urban Dictionary defines NC State stuff as an inevitable chain of events in sports where a blatant bad call or bizarre unlucky play causes a total collapse of confidence, resulting in multiple unforced and devastating errors. It's not that simple, of course, and definitions are wide-ranging, but these current and former NC State bloggers are fluent in NC State stuff. Like, if there's a moment where your jaw drops and you just kind of freeze and are like, did that just happen? That, to me, is NC State stuff. And perhaps as big a part of it as anything is knowing that it's coming. And NC State fans know. Kind of like that ghostly presence in the room that makes the hairs on your arm stand up. They can feel it when it's coming. The no-fun way to, to define it, I guess, would be to say that if you're Rutgers or Alabama, you're probably not going to be in too many close games where, you know, one play or one particular thing maybe sticks out as something that defined that game or altered it in some way. But when you're more like in the middle, like NC State is in, in football and basketball, you tend to be in more uh, close games. So there's a greater chance that something 
weird or strange can affect or appear to affect the outcome of a game. There's a, you know, it'll happen more frequently, just out of sheer odds. And, uh, you know, eventually these things just kind of add up and uh, become like a, a mental psyche that everyone kind of just assumes. It's hard because I think in any sport, in any game, in any team, you know, I do think that there is some kind of contagious feeling, whether it's from the crowd or from your teammates or from an official or, or you know, a, a big play from the opponent. And for whatever reason, NC State has sometimes have, has, has trouble shaking some of those things. You know, when you look at that regional TCU in baseball, and, you know, we were up like 25 or something against SLU in the 2014 second round, and nobody could make a free throw, and then all of a sudden this guy's making, missing a free throw, and this guy's missing a free throw. There is some kind of contagion, but I think that that's, like, overarching. I think that when it rains, it pours, and it really, really rains sometimes at NC State. Here we go, 33-yard attempt for the middle of the field. The snapper is Tyler Griffiths, a sophomore. A.J. Cole, a sophomore. The holder, Kyle Bambard, a sophomore. To try and win the game for State. We're tied at 17. Two seconds left in regulation. NC State was sitting at 4-1 and one on the season just a few months ago, but no one truly believed they had a chance to beat number 3 Clemson on the road, yet they found themselves just a mere short field goal away from the upset win. What's going through your mind as they're getting ready to kick that? They're going to miss it. It just always happens that way. Sheer terror. Preparing for the worst, hoping for the best, but, you know, not being at all surprised when something goes wrong. I think that's a lot of it. You know, we, we always get in these optimistic – we can't help but feel a little bit optimistic as fans in certain situations like that. But at the same time, there's all this history of mishaps that feels like it's somehow impacting what's going to happen on the field. When I heard they were getting ready to kick a field goal, I was like, something's gonna, he's going to miss it. I just knew it. Here's the snap. Ball is down. Kick is on its way. It is. He missed it. No good. He missed it. Clock goes to zero. We're going to overtime. Do I even need to tell you what happened in overtime? The state defense held up admirably, but Clemson scored a touchdown on its first overtime possession. And on the first play of NC State's, it ended with an interception in the end zone. Final score, 24-17 Clemson in overtime. Maybe the concept of NC State stuff goes back further than we all think. In the January 20th, 1950 edition of NC State's student newspaper, The Technician, it referenced a 1949 basketball game at Memorial Auditorium. NC State led Louisville 71-70 with less than 30 seconds to go. Referee Arnold Heft gave the ball to Louisville out of bounds on a, quote, much disputed play, unquote. The ball was thrown into a substitute center for Louisville who hit a buzzer beater to win. It was his only basket of the game, and it gave NC State its first home court defeat of the Everett Case era. A buzzer beater, though, is a bit of a rarity in the history of NC State stuff. It's more about something strange happening that results in a collapse. A floor-wiping technical foul called on the NC State bench in the 2004 ACC tournament against Maryland, resulting in a double-digit lead in the semifinals being erased. Or it's just the collapse itself. And longtime NC State fan James Curl can feel the collapse coming like the rumbling of some giant volcano, especially when the weird event precedes it. Curl's first recollection of NC State stuff goes back actually one year earlier, though, to the 2003 ACC tournament. It was one of Herb Sendek's best teams at NC State, and it was the year they were supposed to break through and get that elusive ACC title. That's when I felt like just this sense of dread, like, you know what, we're never going to get over this hump. If we can't have Duke on the ropes after having gone, you know, to the title game, I think it might have been Herb's third ACC title game. If we can't beat a Duke team that we've got on the ropes with a a very talented roster, you know, Josh Powell had had a tremendous ACC tournament that game. And if we can't keep J.J. Redick from hitting 30-footers to beat us, then maybe there is something to it. 
The first example of it, though, is most commonly identified in NC State lore as the 1989 NCAA tournament loss against Georgetown. Colton Tudor, WRALsportsfan.com contributor and writer who has covered the ACC and NC State for over 45 years, identifies it starting there, too. The NC State game in, in the East Regional, is Lauren, you have to look, look at me on this one. Uh, they, they, were, they were beating Georgetown. This is it. NC State was a five seed in that year's NCAA tournament and found themselves facing number one seed Georgetown in the Sweet 16. The Wolfpack trailed by three with 147 to go. Chris Corciani drives into the lane and scores for NC State. The whistle blows and it looks like he's going to have a chance to tie the game, except... Corciani with the ball, trying to get a double screen for Monroe. Monroe's had the hot hand this half. Lester looking for the pass, back to Corciani who penetrates and comes to... There it is! No basket! No basket! Traveling is the call against Corciani. Now, Mono can't believe it. He's screaming, are you crazy? awful call. It was just awful. The game was in New Jersey. I covered the game. That was the first time I remember I said, holy cow, where did that come from? And State was getting ready to win them. And that night in the locker room, and, and V said, you know, and he was right. He said, you know, if we win this game, we're going to do it again. And I don't think anybody in that room doubted it. He was saying we were going to get right, we were going to rerun 83 again. That I go back to that night. I remember that night. I'll, I will never forget it. But as Tudor will tell you, the real origins of NC State stuff in its current form go back to when NC State football and basketball lost arguably their most successful recent coaches, Dick Sheridan in football and Jim Valvano or Jimmy V in basketball. Valvano is most famous for the footage of him after the 1983 national title game where he's looking for someone to hug and for his never give up speech at the ESPYs when he was dying of cancer. But make no mistake about it, the vivacious, charismatic Valvano had NC State basketball right where it needed to be in the 1980s. In the 1980s, NC State really had a dynamic athletic program. They had Dick Sheridan, who to this day I think is the most underrated uh, football coach I've ever been around, and he's absolutely one of the best football coaches. But they had Dick Sheridan in football. They had Jimmy B in basketball. Valvano. State had a mojo. People think that after 83, when State won the basketball championship, when the NCAA championship, that you know, memorable game over Houston, there was a feeling that State just sort of started spiring. Well, that wasn't the case. Valvano's teams were as good almost to the end of his tenure as they were Back before, and 83 was his first breakthrough year. And he was recruiting well. He was getting some kids in school that academically shouldn't have been there, and that was ultimately his downfall. But at the same time, they brought in Dick Sheridan from Furman. On my birthday, June 30th, 1993, he just suddenly retired. He called a press conference right in the middle of summer. Everybody was buffaloed. Nobody, we were just stunned. I mean, we must have been 30 reporters there, and everybody was flabbergasted. Sheridan claimed his sudden retirement was due to health reasons, which was at least in part true. In reality, he was not pleased with the way the administration had treated Valvano, and that played as much of a role as anything. Sheridan finished above 500 in all but one of his seven seasons at NC State. In his last two seasons, he had gone 18-6-1 and 11-4 in ACC play, finishing second in the ACC both years. NC State was on a roll. But Tudor said that Sheridan retired when he did so that one of his top assistants, either defensive coordinator Buddy Green or offensive coordinator Ted Kane, would get the job. Ultimately, it went to another assistant, quarterbacks coach Mike O'Kane. 
But O'Kane was no Sheridan. The mojo was gone. You could just feel that the chemistry was gone. And by his third year, he was in this 3-8-3-8 rut and going uh, 500 or less in the ACC. And uh, eventually, Marianne Fox, who was the chancellor at that point, you know, just gave the fans got disenchanted. You know, O'Kane was out. Chuck Amato was brought in. Amato did okay. He had as long as he had Philip Rivers. Then he brought in Tom O'Brien. And now Dave uh, Doran. And there's sort of this like uh, February uh, Groundhog Day effect, uh, sort of, I guess. I go back to that day that Sheridan retired because that was the last vestige of the Valvano-Sheridan combination. Valvano had been both the athletic director and head basketball coach. A lot of things were alleged about Valvano's program before he was forced out, first as athletic director and then as basketball coach. There were six investigations, including multiple by the NCAA itself. Ultimately, the only thing that was clear after the fact was that there were academic issues surrounding his program, however minor. The NCAA's punishment for the players illegally selling or exchanging tickets and sneakers was two years of probation and a one-year postseason ban. But it was the school's self-imposed punishment that was the worst. Getting rid of Alvano, of course, but also recruiting restrictions and nearly doubling their academic entrance requirements. They weren't good about going to class. Uh, they did sell their tickets on the side. They sell their sneakers on the side. Uh, but a lot of, I mean, that was sort of, that was norm. Uh, you could have gone to any school in the ACC practically. I'd, I'd say you could have gone to any school in the ACC and found those, that same situation. Maybe not to that extent in basketball, but you certainly could have found it. Then former NC State player Les Robinson took over. Just like with football, the basketball team floundered, although with all of the recruiting restrictions, Robinson never really had a chance. Things might have been different with Robinson had those not been in place, but they were, and the talent level on the NC State roster steadily got worse. Back when the ACC only had nine teams, the ACC tournament had a play-in game between the number eight and number nine teams that became affectionately known as the Les Robinson Invitational, because NC State was always in it, seemingly. Herb Sendek was hired in 1996 and took NC State to the NCAA tournament for five straight years towards the end of his tenure, but ultimately he was never a great fit for the Wolfpack for a lot of reasons, and he moved on in 2006. Then former NC State player Sidney Lowe got a turn, as NC State hoped to bring back some of the personality of Alvano. But that was only after that coaching search blew up in their face. Only Lowe didn't have enough experience, and he was in way over his head. So it just feels like there is a sort of a spinning your 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 tires in the mud. In the 1980s, NC State, North Carolina, and Duke were not too far apart. You could even argue NC State was ahead of Duke. But the sanctions hit NC State in the 1990s. Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski was still an up-and-comer in the 80s, but he would win his first national title in 1991 and his second in 1992, steadily building his Duke dynasty. Dean Smith at North Carolina would add a second national title to his trophy case in 1993, but he went from 1982 to 91 without a Final Four. So just as NC State was on the decline, Duke and North Carolina were either maintaining or on the rise. Football wasn't much better as Mac Brown came to town in Chapel Hill, and ECU saw Steve Logan make its program rise to some level of prominence. As soon as Valvano's out and the state goes on probation, then you've got to remember that Duke goes on this absolute tear in basketball. I mean, not, almost unprecedented except for UCLA. And North Carolina keeps pace pretty much. Smith retires, and Guthridge takes them two out of Final Fours in three years. Should have won one had it not been for Mactar uh, Jai. Then Matt comes in. There's a little fallback. UNC recognizes that immediately brings in Roy Williams. So, so NC State's been caught like on the other side of a bull rush in basketball. And then in football, when Sheridan retired, first of all, Mac Brown gets it going. Then ECU gets it going. So then in state, they're, they're playing third horse in the race there behind not only UNC, but behind ECU in football. 
because they can't get any traction. And meanwhile, ECU's getting it, and North Carolina's getting it. That accelerates the pace of separation. Tudor was in Valvano's office when he was forced out as basketball coach. Tudor still thinks things might have been different had Valvano stayed on in some capacity. He was not bitter, but he was very sad because he said, I can get us out of this. He owned up to it and said, I got us into this. I'll get us out of this. And I believe to this day that had he been allowed, you know, he may have had cancer at that point. He probably did to some extent. But had he been allowed to remain as either AD and or coach, or I'd say probably more as AD, he would have made a good hire. I think State would have avoided this. And then I'm not saying he wouldn't have died, but I think this whole period, and I was around him a lot, uh, uh, that whole period just zapped his energy, took his, his spirit. I mean, he was the most spirited guy I've ever been around. So I think that would have changed. I think it could have changed, yeah. Even as strange and unfortunate things happen around NC State athletics, losing double-digit second-half leads in basketball, late-inning leads in baseball and postseason games, or having calls not go their way in football, it all goes back to, according to most, the early 1990s. Weird events aside, it's all symbolic of a larger issue, an inability to break through. Other programs in the ACC have managed a league title in one of the major sports, either football or basketball, since 1987. All of the remaining original members of the ACC have at least one league title in either of the sports since 1990, except NC State. Whether it was a floor-wiping technical, a charge call, or J.J. Redick hitting 30-footers in the ACC tournament, or NC State only having to beat a mediocre Maryland team with Russell Wilson at quarterback for them in 2010 and not being able to do it, the chances have been there for the Wolfpack. But some would tell you, when those chances happened, NC State stuff reared its ugly head. Even NC State fans who feel like they've had a disproportionate share of bad luck, though, still feel as if it's not a curse or something supernatural. But it is something. But even if it's just bad luck, is it unique to NC State? In other words, is NC State stuff in any shape or form real? Find out on the next episode.